aside. So let's get into it. We've been going through the Gospel of John, and we're slowly getting through. Uh, we're up to John chapter 15, and uh, we've been talking about already, because we've done a, 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 a preach on this already, Jesus the vine. So let's have a look at this. We're better together. Cool, one of you. That's yeah, really encouraging. <laughs> How many of you agree we're better together? Yep. Oh, there you are. Okay, okay. Just waking you up. We are absolutely better together, and that's why the enemy comes against unity. He doesn't like it. And that's why you're here, unfortunately, of so many roughs in the church, you know, broken relationships, people this side thinking one thing, this side thinking the other, because that's exactly what the enemy does. But Jesus, when he's talking about being the vine, he is the vine, we are the branches. All the branches are meant to be interconnected and connected to the vine. Unity in Jesus' name, and, and the enemy comes against it. But I want to encourage you today to find yourself in unity as we go through and continue through John chapter 15. So let's get right into it. Jesus the vine, John chapter 15, we're up to verses 16 and 17, and we'll keep going through. So it says this, uh, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, and you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another, that you love Loving one another, <laughs> particularly the ones that maybe rub you the wrong way a little bit. Maybe they're a bit outspoken. Maybe it's me. I don't know. I'm a bit of a larrikin in church, and maybe some people think I should be a little more serious. I don't know. But I am who I am. We sung it today, didn't we? Yep. I am who God says I am. And so be yourself and love one another. And that doesn't mean you have to be besties either, so relax. I'm not saying you need to go up to that person that rubs you the wrong way and become best friends, but I am saying you need to honour and show respect and love one another in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Everyone just breathe, relax, it's all good. <laughs> Jesus' disciples were his friends because he chose them. And that left no room for them to be proud because they were attached to Jesus. And so it wasn't like, well, I worked my way up to be in this mob. No. <laughs> Jesus chose them so there was no room for pride. He chose to be with them for three years and also to go out into the world and produce what he called lasting fruit. As they became more like Jesus, they would attract people to their faith and to put their faith in him, thus growing the fruit of more disciples, because that's the fruit that Jesus is talking about. As they obeyed Jesus, 
God would answer their prayers. So remember the principle, and we've talked, touched on this going through the Gospel of John, the principle of repetition. When Jesus says something, or when, when anything in the Bible is said and repeated, we should take notice, yeah? There must be a really important point in what is being said. So here it is again, Jesus commanded his disciples to love each other. It's the fruit that will make them most attractive to unbelievers. You know, if, if, if you went to a church, and it's not this church, this church is, is fine, but you go to those other churches, I don't know where they are, uh, but you go to them and there's like maybe some bickering or some fighting, and you're a new person walking in and that's what you walk into, do you want to be there? <laughs> Whether you're a Christian or not, I'm not talking about it, but imagine just this random person walks into a building and there's bickering and fighting, you don't want to hang out in that kind of environment. Uh, and so that's why it's important that we love one another because it shows people there's something different about us. You know, why is that person that rubs everyone the wrong way accepted in the room? That, that's a miracle. And that's what God's talking about here. That's a miracle. People see that and go, oh, there's something different about these. Because, you know, you go down to some secular club down the road, I don't know, whatever it is, and, and someone rubs you the wrong way, well, generally they get cast out, don't they? They don't usually get kept in the group because they're like, oh, they're annoying or they're causing trouble, so let's get rid of them and cancel their membership or whatever. But that's what makes us different is we don't cancel people out in church life. We actually embrace and honour and respect everyone here. That's why we put up welcome home on our sign. And on the sign as you come in, it's not just a little catchphrase. We want everyone that comes to Vineyard Christian Church to feel welcome. And I talk to new people when they come, and that's one of the first things they generally say is, such a welcoming environment. Everyone's just so friendly, and everyone talks to everyone, and it's just really great. Hold on to that. Protect that church, because we never want to lose that identifier of who we are in Christ, is people who love one another. Anyone who ever waited in line at school, who's done this where you're picking teams? Who's been in that situation where there's line-up, they're picking team A, team B to play a sport or an activity or something, and you're nervous as anything because you're like, nobody wants to be last, right? I was always last. I was always last. Yeah, like, fill it up. Fill up. There's empathy. Maybe we'll have a prayer line later for us. I don't know. But, but it's a tough gig, that kind of setup, isn't it? Lining up, getting chosen one by one, and you're like, don't pick another, and you end up being last. It's embarrassing. But here's the thing. When we are grafted into Christ, we never have to know that humiliation again. Never. There is no greater assurance than knowing that Jesus has chosen you and me to be grafted into him. Him being the vine, we being the branches. Yet his choosing does not exclude anyone else. So it's not like he chooses Patrick and leaves me out. It's not like he... Yeah, my buddy. Yeah, exactly. It's not like he chooses Colin and Rachel. Sorry, you have to wait till the end. He chooses us at, not at the exclusion of others. And that's why we never need to experience that terrible emotion and feeling and embarrassment, whatever it is you felt, your face goes red and that all... You know, oh, it's just a terrible feeling. In fact, I'm reliving it now. I should get counselling this week, I think. It, it, it's a tough gig being chosen like that. But Jesus chooses us at the exclusion of no others. We're all chosen because he chooses us. Amen. Loving other believers doesn't depend on our feelings for them either, and that's the good news. <laughs> your feelings may be, oh, I'm not sure about that person, but choosing to love them doesn't rely on those feelings. 
It's because love is an action, not a feeling. That's important to understand. That's important for marriages too. This isn't in my notes, but I just feel we go there. It's important in marriages. Love is a choice daily. It's an action, not a feeling. So, you know, I don't think divorce rates have ever been as high as they've been at the moment. And I think the problem is, is that people have had this feeling when they got married. And maybe as you get older, that feeling has declined. But love is an action. It's a choice. We make a choice every day. 50 years, right? 50 years of, of marriage over there, which is amazing. And it's a daily choice, isn't it? I won't put you on the spotlight and embarrass you, but it is. You've got to choose 17 years for Anita and I this year in September, which is awesome. But it, it's a choice. It's not a feeling. If you're going by feelings, any wonder that the divorce rate is through the roof because we're looking for that. Oh, I want that mushy, bushy, you know, attraction, physical attraction, whatever it is, but it's not built on that. It's a choice. Love is an action, not a feeling. And when we show love, the feelings generally follow the action. So if you're acting out love, the feelings then flow. So that's what I'm talking about. Fruit attraction. Is your fruit attractive? You don't have to answer that question, just think about it. All right, let's keep going. John chapter 15 verses, well, that's not 1 and 2, that's 18 to 19. Uh, and it says, if the world hates you, uh, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is good news. Who came to church to receive the good news today? The world hates you. Yeah. How awesome. Not really. Most of us would try to encourage our friends, I think, uh, if, we, if we knew we were dying. We'd, we'd want to encourage them and leave them with positive words, that sort of thing. But what Jesus told his friends was enough to depress any group. He started uh, with the news, the world, the world of unbelievers hated Jesus enough to kill him. How exciting is that? And they could expect the same. Woohoo! So glad I chose to follow you, Jesus. This is awesome. It's definitely not a selling point for following Jesus if you lead in with that. Uh, so maybe just leave that information for a little bit later on when they've heard about the good stuff. I don't know. But he offers plenty of benefits that outweigh that persecution. Jesus made it clear that we can't be a friend of both him and the world. They're actually uh, mutually exclusive. So you can't sit on the fence and go, you know, I'm going to have one foot in the world and do what I want to do and stay in control and do things that I choose are good for my life. And then have another foot over here. I'll go to church on Sunday, though, and I'll say the right things and I'll say amen and dress the right way. And so you can't live like that. It's, it is a choice. They're mutually exclusive one to the other. But yeah, what positive news, right? Be a follower of Jesus and the world's going to spit on you. Yes! <laughs> if you came to be encouraged today, it'll come later, hopefully. Uh, so, <laughs> James 4 verse 4. Let's want to look at that. It says this. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's the choice that we've got to make. Do we want to live our life for him and, and deal with the persecution that will come our way? People will ridicule us, maybe even your own family. I don't know if you've got unbelievers in your family. I do. Um, and when we first made the choice to become pastors, wow, that was an exciting trip. And uh, maybe a story for another time. 
but I, I've had family come against me and Anita, and Anita and I, correct English. Uh, and we've had challenging times through that, but we've stuck to our choice because we love our God and we know that it's the right way to go. And we ever so gently and subtly try and communicate that to them as well as best we can. Uh, but I think the benefits of following Christ far outweigh the persecution that comes against us. That's just my personal thought on that. You see, unsaved people hated Jesus and his disciples almost 2,000 years ago now, right through. It hasn't stopped. So when Jesus and the disciples were walking, this is what he's talking about, but persecution of Christianity hasn't stopped. If anything, it's now ramping up, and the word tells us about uh, that in the end times, that it's going to go up many notches. So they've hated Christians throughout the years, and since then, and they still hate them today. The reasons may change, but the reality is that that situation hasn't changed. And, and like I say, it's ramping up. So the reasons, so in the news now, and oh, it's getting filmed, and I'll probably say something that someone will send me an email. Uh, but all the talk at the moment is uh, transgender women in sport. Ooh. <laughs> Pastor's going there. But look at the persecution that's coming against your everyday people, like the member for Warringah, the, the, she's not the member yet, but she's running for the, the seat. And man, cancel culture. That's what the world's all about, isn't it? That's why the church has got to be different. Yeah. If we just cancel people out because we disagree with what they think, well, how are we any better than the world? Yeah. It, it's got to not exist in the church. Don't cancel people out. That's just my word of wisdom for today. Instead, I'm not asking you to agree with everything everyone else says either, but there's a difference between having a polite disagreement and cancelling someone. So learn, learn the difference. Learn the difference. That's important. Uh, but we're in a world that just cancels, that, that rules people out, that, that makes life difficult for people. And the church needs to shine a light on situations like that. We need to speak up. We need to let people know what we believe and why, and not in a hateful way so the world can point to us and say we're bigots. They'll do that anyway. Uh, but in a loving way. And just, that's all you can do. Don't do it on Facebook, though. Oh, <laughs> Facebook warriors, don't even try and do a do an argument on Facebook. Forget it. <laughs> Call someone up and have a conversation. Meet them for coffee. Do it in person. But not on Facebook. Not in texting. You know, when you type something, wherever it is, whether it's Facebook, texting, messenger, Snapchat, I know that disappears after a while, I think. I don't use it, but all these things where you type something, screenshots are real easy, right? You can be kept forever. So when you put something in writing, you've got to realise that what you're writing is forever. It can never get taken away. Even if you apologise for it later, a record can be kept of what you've written. Does that make sense? Yeah. This isn't my notes either. I don't know. I'm just going off on tangents today. But you've got to use wisdom when you're communicating. Use wisdom. Don't write stuff out that you're going to regret tomorrow because it's there forever. Even if you delete it, they can screenshot it right away and, and you delete it and it's gone, but they've still got it. Use wisdom. That, I don't engage it very, very rarely. And the times that I have, I've regretted even trying. <laughs> but don't engage in debate in text format, whatever forum you're using, because it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So let's carry on. John chapter 15, verses 20 to 21. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. So there's a persecution prophecy. The news isn't getting much better, folks, but Jesus is saying that it's going to come. It's going to come against you. Because believers are connected to Jesus, they will get the same treatment that Jesus did. Now, we may not necessarily get nailed physically to a cross, uh, but people are doing that with their words and their attacks against Christians every single day. And that's what persecution is. All his life, Jesus was hated by people. There were people that hated him. From King Herod's attempt to kill all, um, all the uh, young children, to the religious leaders convincing the ruling Romans to crucify him. Uh, believers can expect persecution too. And uh, I'm sorry if you want to have the perfect life when you give your life to Jesus and everyone's going to be you know, treating you with respect and it's going to be like you're walking on pink fluffy clouds and it's just comfortable. And, but life is not going to be like that, particularly in this day and age. And like I said, you've only got to switch the news on to see how quickly... You know, the Prime Minister says he's blessed because he has children that haven't gone through uh, autism and things like that. And they twist it around to say, oh, so you're saying the children with mental health and, yeah. and autism, yeah. um, uh, those parents aren't blessed. That's what you're saying. And there was even a quote that went around on social media. Um, you know, children with uh, autism are not a blessing or something. Prime Minister 2022. Well, he never said that. And I'm going to get an email, I'm sure, or someone's going to... Maybe our online stream's been switched off by some powers, I don't know. But how ridiculous. Watch your bank accounts. Oh, no, watch my bank accounts. I'll take my money. I don't know. They'll do something. But how silly. We're twisting words to crucify someone. That's what they're trying to do. I mean, it's election time, so they're going to do that, aren't they? Every word you say, you've got to be careful. But seriously, seriously. Anyway, I better stop. <laughs> I better stop. All right. The Jews of Jesus' day prided themselves on what they thought was an in-depth knowledge of God. They thought they knew what was going on. But when Jesus said that they did not know God, you can imagine the religious leaders were infuriated. Like, who are you? To say, oh, I don't know God, because they're so learned and they know the law and they know they have that relationship. But here's the thing. In rejecting Christ, which is what they were doing, they, they themselves proved that he was right. Because they claimed to know God, yet they hated Christ, who was God in the flesh. So how can they say they in one breath that they know God, but then put Christ down and suggest that he has no idea? Their love for God was a big facade, so that they looked good in front of everybody. All right, let's keep going. Verses 22 to 25. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened... Uh, that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. So in other words, there's no excuse for the world. Jesus had given the people enough evidence to prove that he was God. Like, what more does the guy need to do? He's raised people from the dead. He's healed people. He turned water into wine. Uh, he's done that many. And people saw these things done. So... How could they not believe that he was the Son of God? Uh, 
He'd done enough to prove who he was. They heard his teaching, they saw his miracles, but they rejected him anyway. Therefore, they were guilty of rejecting God and were without an excuse for that sin. They rejected God in the flesh. Their unfounded hatred and rejection didn't surprise Jesus, though. God had already predicted it in the scriptures because he knew how it would play out. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He knows all, sees all. He knew nothing's a surprise to him. Oh, surprise, I went this way. Now, God knows what's going on. Why did the world hate Jesus? Because in Jesus' ministry, he revealed to them their sin. Who likes their sin being revealed? Awkward silence. <laughs> Nobody likes that. Okay? We all sin. We all know it. I'm not going to send the microphone around and get you to confess your sins. It's okay. Everyone breathe and relax. But right now, you know you're a sinner. And when that sin gets found out, you always feel bad. Why? Because you've got the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit presses that button and you go, oh, that really was the wrong thing to say, or I really shouldn't have done that, or I really need to let go of that thing in my life. You know, Jesus pointed that sin out and people didn't like that awkward, uncomfortable feeling. The good thing for us is, is we know that it is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and yes, we feel bad, but... There is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so that bad feeling, what we can then do with it is go, Jesus, I lay this feeling at your feet. I've done the wrong thing. I feel so bad. And I just want to ask for your forgiveness. And then it's probably a good thing to go and ask for forgiveness from whoever you've done something wrong to as well. That's what we've got to do. Live a life of acknowledging the Holy Spirit in our lives and knowing the buttons that he presses and then... Surrendering, not being proud and going, well, I'm not doing anything with that. I'm not going to talk to that person. I'm not going to fix that situation. I'm just going to pretend it never happened. It'll eat away at you and eat away at you and gnaw at you and take you bit by bit until you get to the point of, I've got to be released of this thing. And then that's when you ask for God's forgiveness, you ask for the person or whatever's forgiveness, and you can move on. Okay. Verse 26 and 27 says this. But when the Helper comes, praise God, a Helper comes. We've been talking about it, the Holy Spirit. Whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's ponder this. Jesus was big on the repetition thing. We've touched on it already today. But especially in those last hours before his death, in repeating the fact that the Holy Spirit would be coming, he added that he would be the one sending him. Did you notice that? Go back to the... It's still there. It's still there. But when the Helper comes, who I shall send to you. You can gloss over those words and not notice that. But Jesus says, I am sending him, not the Father. And it's a subtle way of saying again that he is God. If you blink, you'll miss it. Now you see it, now that I've pointed it out. Jesus also used a new name, the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit will teach people God's truth and point to Jesus, the truth. See, the Spirit isn't the only one who will witness about Jesus. His followers will too. And isn't that what we're meant to do as well? Time for testimonies. 
Isn't that why God encourages us to share our stories, our experiences? You know, the little miracles and things that happen every day that sometimes we can gloss over because life's busy and, you know, we don't have time to reflect or... Can I encourage you, have some time each day to reflect what God's done in your day. Even if all it is is, God, you gave me breath in my lungs today. You gave me food in my cupboard. I've got a roof over my head. You know, I've got good relationships. I've got some great friends. Uh, I got a promotion at my job. I got whatever it is, whatever's going on in your world, each day, take a moment to reflect. They're your testimonies. So when you encounter somebody that needs to be lifted up, picked up, encouraged, maybe even led to Jesus, you've got a few, I don't know, we're in the country, a few yarns to spin, to share, you know, a few stories to encourage people that God is alive and active and doing incredible miracles in our lives each and every day. That's the kind of God we serve. But if we don't look for those things, we miss them. And then if we don't reflect, we miss thinking about what God has actually done. You know, this might make some people nervous, but if I came up to you right now and said, tell me something good God's done in your life, you might choke up a little bit because you're not a public speaker or whatever, and that's okay. But when was the last time you reflected on something good that God has done? I pray it's not that long ago. You know, if, if, if you're here and you live your life for Jesus, obviously you've had a moment of salvation, whatever that looked like for you, and it's different for everyone. I know for me... Uh, my story is very different. Like, you can go around and ask people, yeah, I went to a big rally and went forward in a line and gave my heart to Jesus. No, I gave my heart to the Lord in my bedroom at home after reading a note that a friend gave me at a youth camp that I was invited to. So I didn't give my heart to the Lord at the youth camp because I was just checking it out. I thought, oh, yeah, this is interesting. And, uh, you know, they sung a few songs and did a few activities. And I noticed something different about this group of young people. It was in an Anglican church. I was talking to one of our visitors today, and their background is what was a Presbyterian and, 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 and got saved that way. And that's okay. That's good because it's the family of God, isn't it? Uh, but I got saved in an Anglican church. There you go. And, uh, and I went to a youth camp, and I was 17, and I was in year 12, and I didn't think I was a bad guy or needed anything or, you know, I wasn't like the big druggie and the big and I've got that big conversion story. It's nothing like that. But it's funny because I went to private schools all my schooling and uh, so that's how I had a head knowledge of who Jesus was. But I never really got taught about the personal relationship that you can have with Jesus and how important that is to build that relationship. And until I went to a state high school for year 11 and 12 and met some Christian friends there, and they invited me to this youth camp. And all it was for me was I saw something different about them. I saw these kids and I'm like, I'm good, but you guys are just happy. And what, what's different? I can see something, but I just can't put words to what that is. And I talked to a friend on the camp about it and they explained and they wrote me this note. And I went home. They said, don't read it till you get home. I'm like, okay, sure. Put it in my bag and went home, read it. And it was basically the salvation message in the letter. And, and telling me what Jesus had done and why it's important to have a personal relationship with God because Christ made a way for that to happen. And it even included a, the little prayer at the end. You can pray to ask God into your heart. And yes, that's not in the Bible. It's about the condition of your heart. Don't write me another email uh, about the salvation prayer. It's not in the Word. Uh, but it's about the condition of our heart and acknowledging that through prayer. 
And that's how I said that prayer on my bed at home, and I've lived my life with Jesus ever since the age of 17. So 10 years, it's been a whirlwind of a... Okay, didn't have to laugh that Sorry. hard. Sorry. Didn't have to laugh that hard, but, you know, anyway, it's all good. And uh, it's different for everybody, but the, the point is this. The spirit of truth will touch your heart if, if you're led. It, it'll come in like a flood. And it'll transform your life like it did for me. And I'm a pastor today. I never thought I'd be a pastor either. It's not like I gave my heart to the Lord and right, I'm going to be a pastor. Uh, many people spoke that over my lives before even I realized that's what was going to happen with my life. Uh, but God knew. And that's why he planted people along my journey to prophesy into my life. You'll be a pastor one day. <laughs> no, I'm not. But here I am. And God's word is always true when he speaks into our hearts. But to hear God's word, we've got to have relationship with him. And to have relationship with him, we need to surrender our life to Jesus. Let's, uh, let's wrap this chapter up because we've come to the end of chapter 15 of John. So Jesus expects his disciples to remain in him like branches of a vine. That's why I started today with the video about community. We are better together. We don't want all these different little sprouts sprouting up, you know, there's an apple tree here and a banana tree there. No, we're grounded and grafted into the vine and the branches, Jesus being the vine, us being the branches, we're in unity together. So we're to remain in him like branches on a vine in order to be fruitful spiritually. So to remain in him is to remain in us together as well because we're all meant to be part of this branch. You get it, right? You see the picture. You can't go off and do your own thing and be your own whatever, you've got to come in. We all have unique gifts, don't get me wrong, don't, don't misinterpret what I'm saying, but we need to move forward and operate in unity together. And if anything comes against that uh, condition or position of unity in our church, let's talk about it, let's work it out, and let's make sure we continue on that pathway together. That's important. So Jesus expects his disciples to remain in him, that's us. Remain in him like a branch on a vine. Jesus commands his disciples to love one another even to the point of dying. Wow. Jesus called his disciples friends instead of servants and shared God's words with them. And then because the world hated uh, Jesus, it would also hate his disciples. Woo! The good news I've shared today. Uh, when Jesus sent his Holy Spirit, he would tell people about Jesus along with his disciples. Our job now is to be shining lights filled with the Holy Spirit and spilling that light out wherever we go to a dark world that needs it. Now, let's just watch this summary and then we'll come to a close. I am the true vine and my father is the farmer. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already pruned clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who remains in me and I in him, the same bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man doesn't remain in me, he is thrown out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. 
In this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. Even as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his Lord does. But I have called you friends, for everything that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you will ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I command these things to you, that you may love one another. Fantastic. Come on up, Chad. As I was preparing, I really felt God speak to me about praying for two specific kinds of people today. And the first kind, that's why I opened with community. The church should be a loving environment, a community where people feel embraced, accepted, I want to pray for people today that are struggling with the thought that they don't feel loved. And it's not just about church. It could be about family. It could be about a workplace. It could be wherever you find yourself, you feel like you're in a situation where you're not loved. So I want to pray for you today. And then the second kind of person I want to pray for is people that are struggling with loving someone else. I reckon we could all probably put our hand up for that, that there are seasons of life where we've come across people that are just that little bit harder to love. And so I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would be your portion in both those situations. But before I can do that, I want to pray for people who need to accept Jesus' love for you, who need to surrender their life for him. At every meeting at Vineyard Christian Church, we'll always put out an appeal for you to say yes to Jesus. So would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And people online, don't tune out. This is for you as well. Just praying that God will touch people's hearts in this moment. And so if you were like, you might, might be like me, where you're a good person. You've never really done anything too bad in your own opinion. But I went on a youth camp and met people that had something that I didn't have and and maybe that's pricked your interest today. And you're like, well, what is it? I'm telling you what's missing is your personal relationship with Jesus. That's what I found out about at the age of 17. And I want to encourage people that haven't got that personal relationship. In this moment, you can surrender your life to him. It's very simple. The scripture is on the screen, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to jump through any other hoops, tick any other boxes, change the kind of clothes that you're wearing, be any different to who you are now, other than confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that he conquered sin and death so that you could be saved. So in this moment, if that's you or if you're at home, I'd ask you to just respond by raising your hand. And uh, I 
can't see you at home, but God sees your heart. And that's what we're talking about. It's a reflection of your heart condition. So by raising your hand, you're simply saying, I can't do life on my own. I need a saviour. I need Jesus. I need that assurance that I'm forgiven, that I can move on from the sin and the chains that are holding me back in life because of the regrets that I have from my past. So if that's you, lift up your hand in this moment. And yeah, I see that hand, that's great. And, and, and people online, just in your lounge room, wherever you find yourself, we're just praying for you in this moment. So church, let's just pray this prayer together. And, uh, and if you didn't raise your hand, that's fine. It's the condition of your heart. So if you pray this prayer and mean it with your heart, we're believing that you are saved today. So dear Jesus, I thank you that you came and that you died for me. I'm so undeserving. I've made so many mistakes. I'm so ashamed. But I thank you that you come and you release me from my shame because you conquered sin and death. I believe in my heart that you rose from the dead so that we can be victorious and live victorious lives. I confess with my mouth, you are my Lord. And so I am saved. I'm a Christian and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we praise God for people that have made that choice today? God is good. Now I want to pray again for these two kinds of people. I don't know if it's someone in the room or if it's not. It doesn't matter. But would we all just stand together in this moment? Believe that the Holy Spirit is going to impart something into every believer in this moment to help us be better, uh, I guess, neighbours that, that love on people, but also receiving love and acknowledging that we are loved ourselves. So if you're either of those two people, keep your eyes closed and let's keep it private. If you're at home, just open up your hands towards heaven. Lift up your arms and hands if you're willing or put them out in front of you as in a receiving pose. And I just want to believe that for people who don't feel that they are loved, that you would be flooded with love from the Holy Spirit right now in this moment. That you would just have this new realisation that God is for you and not against you. And that He loves you first and foremost. That's the most important kind of love to acknowledge. God loves you. But secondly, that there are people in your world that love you too. And maybe you don't feel it or see it or realise it, but I'm going to pray for God to reveal that to you to heal your broken heart. And then if you're struggling with loving someone else, I'm going to believe for the Holy Spirit to give wisdom, to give direction, to give encouragement, to bring you peace to your heart, as angry as you might be towards this person, or disappointed or hurt or whatever those emotions are, but that the Holy Spirit would come and, and just replace those feelings with peace. So Father God, I pray for every believer in the room today. Lord, we all are challenged at times, whether it be feeling loved by you, by people, whether it be loving others. Holy Spirit, come, rest in our hearts today. Fill us with your presence, God, that overrides the way that we're feeling. And Lord, bring peace, bring love, bring contentment. Fill our hearts with, with just your presence as it comforts us and directs our lives and leads us on the path that you would have us take. Help us 
to receive your love today. Help us to acknowledge people in our world that do have our best interests at heart and love us as well. And help us to love others and be that shining light that you call us to be, Jesus. Sharing the love of Christ with others. Let that be what sets us apart from the world. Lord, we speak against cancel culture and we ask for your love to come and flood every relationship in this church and in our community, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.